Hi, I'm Justin King, and welcome to the Blue Chip Academy. As a five-star recruit, all Big Ten corner, NFL vet, and Power 5 recruiting coordinator, I understand the emotions that go along with the recruiting process. The Blue Chip Academy is here to provide education, critical insights, and mentorship through the recruiting process for families and athletes alike. When athletes and their families have proper education and guidance, they're able to make better decisions and set themselves up for long-term success. Blue Chip Academy provides the resources and information that empowers athletes to create their own blue chip blueprint and take ownership of their careers. Blue Chip Academy exists because when athletes and their families are armed with the right information, they're able to make the decisions for themselves that positively impact their future. Again, I'll be your host, Justin King, and welcome to Blue Chip Academy. Yeah, welcome back to the Blue Chip Academy podcast. Today we got a class session, NIL branding, and the new normal of college football and recruiting featuring at Eco founder Ayo Fapahunda. So this is going to be an interesting episode, not even interesting, but we're going to get into like the new craze that's taken over college sports recruiting and everything uh, when it just comes to um, the new age of NIL and the new normal of college football. We just had the new news that USC and UCLA go to the Big Ten, but before we get into all those things about branding and how to navigate this NIL space in college sports, let's uh, introduce our guest, Ayo Fapa Honda. How you doing, Ayo? Good, man. How you doing? Good, man. Let's talk a little, talk a little sports business today, man. Let's start with a little bit of background. How'd you get started in the business of sports? Yeah, so how I got started is, um, like everybody, played um, all through my youth, played in middle school. I went to high school and actually um, I transferred out of Gateway, um, the high school you went to, and I went to Canada um, to prep school, a boarding school. So I left um, Pittsburgh for about three years and um, was playing there. And obviously, Canada is a lot different than um, in Pittsburgh. So I played football there, played um, slot, and I actually played quarterback my sophomore year and um, just didn't necessarily want to stay out there. So then I transferred back to Gateway my junior and senior year. And um, it's funny because uh, my sister um, was running track. So she's like three, four years um, younger than me. And um, so when I came back home, because I was in boarding school, I wasn't necessarily around that much. So immediately when I came home that summer, when I was still deciding whether or not I was going to go back to Gateway or potentially go to another school or wherever, um, I went to a track meet and um, my sister was part of Matt Track. And um, so she was doing her thing. And then it's funny because you talked about it in your last podcast um, with Ryan Mundy is um, I got to see the the black knight and the white knight, <laughs> young Jay King. And um, you were running like 10 eights, 10 nines or something like that. And it was like, you're in the eighth grade. So it was like, oh, shoot. I was like, what's going on here? And um, ended up transferring back to Gateway my junior year. I think that was your freshman year. And um, was playing football, and I was like, eh, I mean, you know, my personality, I was kind of like, whatever. We had a coach that I really wasn't rocking with. So I ended up playing basketball because that really was my first love. And I um, had a really good basketball team. was kind of transitioning over to, like, getting the rotation. The team actually made states and um, ended up playing that year. Then my senior year, I came back to play football um, for, for Coach Smith, Terry, your uh, stepfather, because he ended up taking the head coaching role. He always used to mess with me because he was a, um, a basketball coach for the ninth grade. Like, man, when are you going to start stop cutting up? And so I ended up coming back, playing for him. And um, I was kind of mad, actually, because I wanted to play um, receiver. And they immediately tossed me over um, to corner. And I was like, <laughs> man, I don't know about that. I was kind of, I'm not really into hitting people. But um, anyway, long story short, I ended up playing for um, Coach Smith my senior year. I ended up getting hurt in training camp and um, just never really got back to where I wanted to be. But it was interesting because I got to see the beginning of what you would call like the gateway era um, in high school football in um, Western PA and just being around Coach Smith, being around you guys, being around everybody. It just kind of opened me up to just a, a whole new world and looking at things. Cause I, I made that, I remember what Adele was talking about that transition um, when it's like, all right, you know what, like, do I want to keep on pushing or let me go ahead and make this transition? So I actually made a transition earlier than everybody because I was like, you know what, number one, I'm not really trying to get hit like that. And then I like, I want to have a good time in college. So let me go ahead and start focusing on what I'm going to do um, in the long run. So 
ended up going to Ohio University. And it's funny because um, I was in orientation and um, one, of my, one of my best friends right now, his name is Cannon Matthews, is actually the quality control coach and um, nickel coach for the Dallas Cowboys. And we were in, the, um, we were in orientation um, the summer before college. And he was like, uh, what do you study? And I was like, I'm going to study finance, economics, whatever. I was trying to be a businessman. He's like, and I was like, what do you study? And he told me he studied in sports management. And I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of dope. Let me, let me go ahead and see what that's, what that's talking about. So that's what led me to going ahead and um, also pursuing a sports management degree along with my economics degree in college. And ironically, OU actually is one of the top sports management programs in the country, if not the top um, program. So immediately after leaving Gateway, um, hit the ground running with just the education of the sports business based on being at OU. I did a bunch of different internships, worked for a minor league baseball team, worked for a football team, um, doing a bunch of film breakdown, things of that nature, and um, just navigated through the college years and then ended up working at um, uh, for the Arizona Rattlers straight out of um, straight out of college. And um, that was a arena league, uh, arena football league team at the time. And that was when arena football league was actually uh, a draw and the players were making a decent amount of money. So went through that experience and interned for a bunch of different teams, um, Buffalo Bills, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And so, yeah, I mean, I've kind of had like the, the educational background that led me to being around and got exposed and started doing a bunch of stuff outside of working for teams and organizations. So that's kind of my background, along with the fact that I skipped like a whole era during college where I came back and interned um, for Coach Smith and got to be around the athletic department and all that type of stuff. So like I said, I don't want to be too long-winded, but... Yeah, but let's jump into that a little bit. When you talk about coming back to, uh, when you talk about coming to um, State College and not State College, but uh, to Gateway and working with Coach Smith and like the time and the era that was happening at Gateway, everybody kind of knows Gateway to be the powerhouse that it is now. But at that time, it was building up. And I remember at this time, I was probably out of there, but it was like the seven on seven craze of every, like seven on seven craze, the all star games. That was like, that was new at the time. Because I remember when I was coming up in high school, my pops, I mean, Terry was big on 707, going to compete and different things of that nature. Can you talk to me a little bit about that that culture shift when you started bringing, uh, like when the when those all-star 707 teams started to come together, right? And like the players that were coming from across the state and things of that nature. Because at that time, we talk about Pittsburgh and like a lot of players that kind of came from that era. It was very, It's a very interesting time just seeing now where everyone is. Yeah, no, 100%. So it's kind of crazy, too. Like, when I was coming up playing sports, like, you always had certain type of coaches. And um, and then when I got around Coach Smith, he's had a whole different swagger. Like, the way that he coached, the type of stuff that he was doing, it was always, like, good on good. Like, go out and go compete. And so it was almost like he was, like, the way you prepared was going to be the way that you played, and that's what led to the swagger. So he always had this crazy swag that he wanted his group to have. So just seeing that at the high school level, then coming back, it was like, oh, man. And then when I really got to get older and understand what he was doing when I was in college, I started seeing, like, how he was building at Gateway, but also building, like, amongst the whole community. So people from all over wanted to be affiliated to what he was doing because at the time, I mean, you had Ryan Mundy on. Woodland Hills was the powerhouse. They were known for being the powerhouse. Um, I mean, even Penn Hills, McKeesport. But what he did, um, which was genius at the time, is that he understood, like, the visual aspect. So people talk about NIL, this, that, blah, blah, blah. Well, how he was moving back in 2000, 2000, 2003, it was almost like Oregon, essentially. So you see that people go and play at University of Oregon. They like, oh, they want the sick jersey, want this and that he knew what was going to strike the chord for the kids. So like one of the first things he did was like, all right, all the skill positions, they're going to rock single digits. So now it was like, oh, there's a whole different swag out here. Like, you know what I mean? Like it was just different across the board. Had three just jerseys getting... back in 03. Like three, he- oh yeah, uh, we have two helmets? I don't even know. We had, we had like three sets of pants, three sets of jerseys. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know what real. I'm saying? But, yeah. So he just started doing all these different things that was like, like we're catching the kids. And it was like, man, like, man, you put on that jersey. You know, you thought you were just that dude. And it created a whole different atmosphere. So through that, um, then I actually graduated. And a couple of years after I'd been working in the NFL, 
I got referred, actually, I got um, advised by Kevin Colbert. He's like, man, you know what? We don't have any opportunities for you right now, but you should really tap into the um, high school football space. And so I was like, all right, man, I was kind of felt disrespected, to be honest. Like, man, I'm trying to work in the league, but all right, I'm just going to go ahead and listen to what you got to say. And so essentially, um, then I came back to Gateway because actually that summer when I was interning for the um, Steelers, Coach Smith and a bunch of coaches came down to um, to training camp up at St. Vincent College. And so I hadn't seen Coach Smith in a couple of years. So I interned in college. This was like probably three, four years. He's probably like, that. what's Ayo doing up here? He must be like, he's really putting in some work, whatever. So after that, I was like, well, Kevin Colbert told me to go ahead and start focusing on these high school athletes. So shoot, perfect person to go back to. So then essentially I was in grad school at Duquesne. And so I started um, basically sitting um, in Coach Smith's office because he was the athletic director at that time and just working with the football team on like the recruiting aspect, like pushing out all the players' stuff, making sure their tape was together, their info, just working with him to make sure that everything was taken care of so the kids could get to college because that was one of his big things. Like, honestly, his biggest selling point to his players wasn't, hey, you're going to win a championship. It was like, hey, you're going to go to college. So through that, I ended up um, helping him. And my biggest thing was like, man, it's crazy because I understood the power of Gateway at the time. I'm like, well, shoot, like there's a bunch of these Gateway kids that are getting all these offers. And respectfully, I'm like, well, shoot, like I don't know if these all these guys are the best players in the area, but right. these other players don't necessarily have the same exposure. So I'm like, you know what? Let me go ahead and start um, putting some of these resources out to the other kids in the area. So then um, my first year I was doing it, um, Dayon Nunley, Orny Bay, Brennan Felder, um, um, uh, Delbert Tyler, they were all seniors. And it's crazy because um, they were in the same class as Aaron Donald. And um, and Aaron, I think, was a three-star, two-star I mean, everyone knew he was a beast, but he wasn't a national player or anything like that. And so I remember the first tape I watched it, and I'm like, dang, like, that's a bad dude. But then on top of that, <laughs> it was like 10 other dudes on the field, too. So they had Trayvon Hester, Corey Joe, all these different players. I'm like, man, Bro, I, got, I used to get calls like, man, they was playing Gateway. And I got a call like, man, there's this defensive lineman from Penn Hills just throwing everybody around. I was like, oh, he sounds like my type of guy. Like, I, That's funny that you say that, but like, because at the time, it was like big recruits, who's going where, who's going there. And it was like... He was always mentioned as like a problem to deal with on the field, but like like you said, two three star type of uh, guy. But there's the missed eval. Exactly, and the missed, <laughs> and, that, and it was missed because of the exposure, right? It was like Expo- man, people yeah, it, yep. out the way that the way that Coach Smith was doing it. He had a system where it's like all my players are going to get exposure. So if you go back to the scholarship list at that time, it was getting crazy for like probably like a five six seven year run, like just because of the way. That he was exposing the players the right way. So with that blueprint, I was like, you know what? Let me go ahead and help some of these guys out in the city. So in the city suburbs, just outside of Gateway, started working with a bunch of kids from Penn Hills, working with kids from Keysport, even working with kids from Central Catholic. And then um, my thing was like, all right, I really want to help the kids that don't necessarily have the resources. So one of our coaches, Coach Booth, was like, man, if you want to get in the city, you got to get with um, this guy named D Brown. And um and Dwayne at the time was um he was training at Arterdice and Carrick in the gym. He was real close with the Arterdice basketball team and all that type of stuff. And they were really a strong team at the time. And so me and him connected. And Dwayne was in the city training a bunch of the city athletes, just trying to give back to the community. And so through that, it was like, all right, well, shoot, you got you got some athletes that aren't getting exposure. Let's work. So at the time, I was pushing the highlight tapes real heavy. This is before huddle this is in the beginning of youtube and i was like well shoot the easiest way to put somebody's stuff out is just put it on put a highlight tape and put it online so i was putting a bunch of um highlight tapes online all through the city um of players all through the city all through the whip bill um through finest preps and so it started putting guys on the map like crazy like because everyone could just hop on there and see the tape so just continuing to kind of navigate through the space build my name and then um, I want to say like a year or two after when I first started, um, Baron Flannery was doing his camps, um, the Badger sports stuff. And just me sitting down in the office all the time, just helping out. Coach Smith was like, man, um, we need to go ahead and put together an all-star team for the seven-on-seven because Baron <laughs> Flannery was an all-star seven-on-seven team. And so from there, um, basically, because I had been doing a bunch of highlight tapes all through the city, 
I knew a bunch of different guys all through the area. We started just swooping guys up for this team that we called um, PA Swag. And, I mean, shoot, we had Tyler Boyd. Um, we had Robert Foster, Demetrius Cox. We had guys from Erie, Dalton Williams, Greg Garman, Corey John. I mean, we were loaded. Like, I think <laughs> when it's all said and done, um, the teams we put together, like, I think it was a two-, three-year run, we probably had, like, maybe 15 to 20 guys that played in the NFL and then maybe 10 to 12 that are still in the NFL. So <laughs> we built this whole seven-on-seven program and just were traveling around. We started doing the college tour because actually – when I first saw the college tours, it was a bunch of Maryland guys. There was, um, forget, there was like Next Level or something like that. Corey Robinson, I think he's a coach at, um, a safety coach at the Saints. And um, and I just saw what they were doing. And like they were using content a little bit and traveling around. I'm like, that's kind of a dope idea. Right. So after we did the Badger Sports um, 7 on 7, now we had this collection of guys that I've been helping out with highlight tapes, this, that. I'm like, you know what? Let's go ahead and expand on um on that and to start taking these dudes to college because it's like hey everyone was asking me how do i get a college scholarship and it's like well the way you get a college scholarship is you expose yourself you let people see so yep. like through your tapes and then most importantly the coaches got to see so now started doing college tours traveling around um going and i mean actually to to his credit um to their credit university of toledo was one of the um, programs that really embraced it super fast Toledo Michigan State like they really embraced what we were doing they were um, super hospitable to us and um, a lot of guys went there just because of not we were pushing guys there is because they cultivated that relationship and saw what we were doing um, but yeah I mean from that perspective that's kind of how I stepped into like the marketing and the branding and everything because it all came together like at the end of the day like even getting a scholarship in high school it comes down to like marketing yourself because I mean how many guys do you see that have this crazy brand of high school, get all this love, and they get to college, and it's like, uh, they're average. But it's like, guess what? They got a scholarship, scholarship because they knew how to brand themselves in high school. So it's um, as sad as it is, it's the truth, and you got to live with it. And it's like that. It is what it is. I mean, if you can elevate your status, I mean, whatever. That's what we talk about. I mean, that's exactly it, because it's like using sports as a catalyst to a career that you can bank on. It does start with how you brand yourself, because that's how people know you, regardless of what. And sometimes if it's just solely isolated on the sport you don't really know the person i want to get into the next subject of nil but talking about a film evaluation like huddle wasn't around back then so it was up to a coach to work extremely hard to un- uncover all stones to find the under guy- undercover guys and trust the eval right like when i was coming you know rivals and all that stuff was just now getting started and you know moving forward with that so everything that's got the nation's attention now and the dominoes starting to fall what exactly is nil Name, image, and likeness. Well, I mean, it could be debated now because um, it's it's all over the place. I mean, I think people are saying that some of these deals that are being done, I'm not hating at all. Like, I was get your money however you want, but that's not mistake um, what it is. Like, I mean, NIL is when you're using your name, image, or likeness to essentially monetize. So pay, getting paid to play for somebody, that's not name, image, and likeness. Like we're talking about branding, marketing, et cetera. So say, for example, you see a bunch of kids, the college guys, where they mess around and put their face on a flyer at a club. That's that's NIL. That's name, image, and likeness. Or if you get a Gatorade deal or a Nike deal or whatever it may be, or you're selling merchandise or you're hosting a camp or you're doing whatever. If you're using your name, image, and likeness to monetize, that's what essentially NIL is supposed to be. And um, I think it's got a little bit clouded um, just because colleges are trying to take advantage of the fact that they can play players now. But I think there's a big um, confusion because you can get a bunch of money from a collective and that's cool, but that doesn't address your name, image, and likeness. That doesn't mean you can sell merchandise. That doesn't mean that you're going to get marketing deals. So I think that a lot of people might be getting a little confused as to what it is exactly. And like I said, um, not to be long-winded, but um, everyone started going crazy like uh, NIL, NIL, NIL when they were talking about college, but I work with a lot of NFL players, um, even basketball players already above. And I'm like, well, the guys that already can get paid, they're NIL, like the way that they're branding themselves and marketing themselves isn't right. So why are you kind of trying to just jump over from the professionals to the amateurs and assume that it's just this crazy opportunity? So I think um, there's a 99, 1% rule where the 1% makes it look like it's a lot more lucrative than it really is. Right. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, that's a little long-winded answer to what NIL is from my perspective. No, nah, that's, a, that's a great point. And you answered my next question. It was like, what's the difference between pay for play and NIL? Because it's like, that's what you kind of see is like the benefits of NIL is that brand identity. Like when you see like the Skechers commercial and you see Joe Montana and Deion Sanders or like Michael Strahan, even just like the identity that you see those people from, they were just getting paid pay for play in college, you know. Again, get your money. Like that's one thing. But like the benefit of NIL, regardless of how the pay-for-play models are going, it is a difference because like that's a leverage, that's like a leverage opportunity that you have regardless. Obviously, if you make money off of deals, you'll get money. But like your name, image, and likeness is something that can stick with you that you can monetize forever beyond any collective paying you, any like ecosystem that you're in. And like you can just leverage it in so many different ways. So we talk about like the difference between pay for play and NIL and like ah, you say guys are, is it more so pay for play type of situations that you're seeing? I mean, it varies. Right. So, and I think it varies by the school, um, the individual. Um, it's just, it depends like the market you're in. I mean, you see Ohio state guys, I think they're, I'd say they're probably the model um, in the country from what I've seen that they have a lot of local um, companies that are engaging with the players. So, I mean, it has the same concept, but like I think Rickert um, Automotive, um, Automotive, they're giving deals to everybody right. in the city. With a bunch of different, I think maybe Raising Canes has done some stuff. So you're really seeing companies using the athletes on the team's name, image, and likeness to promote them because ultimately they're trying to use it for advertising. So it's like your Super Bowl commercials or all that type of stuff. So um, you're seeing some of that and then you're seeing some of the stuff that's going on at some of these SEC schools where it's just like, hey, they got a bunch of um, donors that want to win. And so they're putting together these schemes to essentially pay the players, which, I mean, it's cool. Like, I'm not saying don't do it, but I think address NIL, yeah. It's just because the NIL, right? It's like it's like investing. It's like it gets it compounds. So it's like if you actually build a brand um, and you start ten years ago, you're going to benefit off of the brand that was built ten years ago. Versus if you're just getting paid to play football through a collective, and it's ten years down the road and you never build a brand, it's still the same situation. What? There's nothing there. Yeah. So it's like understanding. That okay, if I'm that level of player, I'm gonna build my brand in college, and then once I get to the NFL or to the NBA or whatever circuit there is, now I've been working on that brand over time, and now all of a sudden I'm the rock or whatever it may be. Because when you talk about NIL, I mean you have experience with the XFL and WWE with Vince McMahon. I mean he's the ultimate curator of individual brands, and so now you look at a guy that built a brand through the platform he had. And now he's able to extend that brand throughout his whole career. So right. it's like, that's the type of stuff we're talking about where you build a legacy brand that is sustainable. And look, Deion Sanders, right? I mean, Deion Sanders is probably, no one really talks about it, but he might be the greatest personal brander of all time because it seemed like he's always doing it till this day. Till this and day. It's like, so it rubs off. Oh, it's like now it's a part of Jack, uh, Jackson State's whole ethos or their whole marketing. Now, yeah, their whole marketing scheme. Like, they are prime time. Like, that's kind of how they're moving. Like, it's some strong season. Like, that's real. That's <laughs> I mean, you see it, right? I mean, he figured it out. He got the dance, the end zone dance. He got the high step. Like, those are things that he's doing. And it's like, man, he's building his brand. And it's like- And that's interesting that you say that about him being like building a brand and it being so strong. Cause like, I like to, I mean, before we get in Atheco a little bit, just talk about the dual lane branding when it comes to these people, to these different guys. Cause like, I know this was always, you know, me and Io's relationship was kind of, he worked outside of football and dealt with players. I worked inside of football. So we used to have a lot of clashes on like, you know, perspectives on things, whether it was brands versus how good someone is and who's bringing money to the table versus are they bringing wins to the table? And like, they're good conversations. And now when we're both outside, it's like, you'd be able to see it. But we talk about dual lane branding, right? You talk about Deion Sanders and him and his his attitude or how he danced and that whole primetime swag. Like he backed that up, right? Like there was like the thing where it was like authentically curated to his dual lane where he was like primetime on the field. Like he showed up primetime and he did the dances. It's not cool when like that's your thing and you show up and you whatever. Don't make it like get burnt or you get knocked out. Like, you know, some boxers that, you know, talk a lot and don't back it up. But like that's why Floyd is who Floyd is because that dual lane, like in the ring and out of the ring match up into a certain brand that's extremely powerful, hate it or love it. 
But that's where it goes into. Because I think sometimes when people hear brand, like even if they're not good, they forget about the on the field part, right? And they just start thinking, I need to be an actor. Or I need to be a rapper. I need to, like, this is what my brand is. And like, that's getting it twisted a little bit. But you got to focus on that dual lane, like on the field and off the field. Yeah, no, 100%. Because like one of the things I always tell every athlete is you're an entertainer at the end of the day. That's it. And it's like, I mean, um, it's only entertainment. I mean, um, I mean, you make a lot of money uh, as an entertainer, but you're there to please the fans. You make your money off of viewers. Um, and essentially, if you don't entertain the viewers, um, then I don't know what to tell you. So typically, if you're a high-performing athlete or you're entertaining in how you do it, that gets people that much more excited to watch you. So understanding like the core of the business that you're in I think is um, is necessary because it really takes you back to the fundamentals, left hand, right hand layup. Like, it's yo, in, you're an entertainer. It's imperative. Like, even to know that, it's, and it's entertainment because there's a lot of, I don't know, as a player, I used to push against that. Like, this ain't entertainment. I'm putting my heart into this. I'm working hard. This is serious. This, is, this ain't a game. Like, this, this, this surgery ain't a game. But, like, you're right. right. It is entertainment. When you start seeing the spreadsheets on the other side and, like, how things are, I'm like, okay. I always knew it was a business regardless of what the case may be, but like where you fit in, like, cause everyone tells you like you're within a business and you're not a business, right? Like you are a product, like you're there for someone else's entertainment. You can have that opportunity to turn yourself in that product into a business. And that's what right. we talk about with that transformation with NIL and like seeing the opportunities, whether it's through brand partnerships, brand relationships, connected with alumni, having a brand that people recognize you for, like 40,000 people in the ecosystem where you are a recognizable brand. And there's these unique opportunities within these ecosystems that do present itself that, I mean, some people are tapping into it because of the, like you said, the natural inclination of being that standout person. But like, yeah, the pay-for-play and NIL, that whole situation is completely different. Um, yeah, I mean... Yeah, talking about that. So let's talk about Ethico a little bit. Let the people know what the gaps that Ethico are filling in the sports ecosystem. Yeah, man. So just based on just being around the game now for getting old. So I mean, I think even going back to high school and seeing what was going on in high school and college, been in the game now for like 15, almost 15 years, but probably longer than that. And um, and I've always been like pro athlete, right? Like I always cared like got a bunch of people bunch of bunch of friends that played at different levels across the board and so being in the business and um, even when working for teams and organizations um just get to see it from the lens you're talking about when you start seeing those balance sheets and things of that nature and um i just it, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way just the way the business worked even like on the agency game side like just kind of the commoditization of athletes and, um, and you can benefit of a bunch of ADs or a bunch of administrators, a bunch of front office execs that are benefiting off the commoditization of athletes. But I was like, you it's know the what? business that's model. It's, it's like it's built that way. Like that's how it's. Yeah, exactly. So, I, so me, because I'm pro athlete, um, I was like, you know what? Like I, I want to build something that goes against the grain that's athlete focused. So as you see, the name is Athico, which stands for athlete ecosystem it's essentially just like a ecosystem where i take it back to like ecosystem or village right where i look at it as a village where everyone's taking care of each other and the ultimate goal is for the athletes which you start out as an athlete you could be an athlete in high school and then turn into whatever but you're still an athlete at some point in time or you could play in the league or you could be a coach you could be a trainer or whatever it may be a commentator whatever it may be the foundation is an athlete. And so what we do is we're working with the athlete to understand how to monetize their brand, like their name, image, and likeness in whatever capacity they choose to do it, right? So just because you're an athlete doesn't mean you have to do a deal with Nike or do whatever. Like there's so many different ways for you to monetize your brand. And so that's what we do. We're that resource that provides what you need to be able to to monetize who you are based on the way you operate. Cause everyone's different. Like for example, I was just listening to Draymond's podcast. I don't even like Draymond. I think he's kind of annoying, but he caught me listening to it because I was like, man, hearing his perspective on what he thinks and what's going on in his head during a game, especially the finals. Like I respect that. So it's like, he got his podcast blowing up 
And that's not a Nike deal. That's not a McDonald's deal. That's not a Gatorade deal. That's Draymond using his personality to build a platform. And you best believe that the volume is playing Draymond a nice amount of money. So those are the type of things that we try to focus on is figuring out like the individual, the athlete, the trainer, the coach, how can we help you take advantage of your name, image, and likeness and monetize it and not just monetize it, but monetize it to a point where the numbers make sense. Because also being on the business side, a lot of these, I mean, shoot, I mean, I don't want uh, people to come after me, but if you look at the the margins that a player is getting for selling their jerseys or product, whatever it may be, the players probably don't even know because they're not paying attention, but it's disrespectful. So that's where we feel like our business play is, is the fact that not only are we doing some of the same things that these different platforms are doing, but we're also making it a partnership where the players actually making a sizable amount of money because a lot of reasons why people don't like focus on those things is like they might make four or three, ten dollars off something that is selling for a hundred. And you're the person that actually is the the talent it's that's the being monetized just because you're not um paying that much attention. So that's what we do. We pay attention to the details and then really let you know what's going on because it's full transparency. We're not over here trying to get over on you or do this and that. It's like, look, it's what we do. It's what you do. Let's meet along the ways and then figure out a way that we can monetize these brand and it's worth everybody's time. So the focus is really the individual and monetizing their brand and all the different ways that you're able to um, in the sports space. That's, I mean, that's so important. I love the fact that you talked about like the NFL and just professional players where like their brands aren't up to par. And we're talking about teenagers and everybody getting this money. And it's like, we're talking about the top 1%. If they're not, you know, they don't have monetary value. Like let's get, like let's say, let's get their brands right before high school kids. But like, there's a whole group of people out here that are, have a messed up. I mean, a lack of brand in general. You know what I mean? So like when we even talk about high school a brand and having a brand is not just a flip of the switch. So like when we talk about like digging out that lane or whatever the case may be for you or like being authentically curated, which like you said, has to match up. Even though high school players can't get paid in all states, what should they be doing to prepare almost like that runway for their brand? Or is there things that high school players should be doing now to prep for NIL, like a level of exposure or how they should be moving? Because the gift of NIL to me is it pushes the whole business down to your to the forefront at 14, 15 years old. So where we got real practical life lessons that you can learn in business as you're going through it. So like that's just that compounding interest of, you know, intellect and experience can go, you know, to the moon. But talk to me about that. Yeah, no, it's funny. I was, I was on a call like a week or two ago and, um, and I was a parent of a high school athlete. And um, it's in a state where they can't monetize their brand. And he's like, yeah, I mean, there's nothing there. And I'm like, nah, like, there's definitely something there. And I go back to um, to what Dame Dash said. And I, don't, I hate to quote Dame, he's a little wild. But he said it takes 10 years to build a brand, right? So if it takes, and which is realistic, it takes that long to build a brand, a sustainable brand. So if it takes 10 years to build a brand, like, think about that. If you're 22 and you start trying to build your brand, well, guess what? Your brand realistically is not going to get built until you're 32. Like, or let's say you're lucky and it gets blows up and now you're 27, 28. So if you're doing it and you're really trying to hit, hit at the time when you're in your prime, you want to start building your brand early. And building a brand doesn't have to deal with getting marketing deals or getting opportunities, whatever it may be. It's just you're just building a brand. And so I think that that's one of the issues that you see is a lot of athletes don't understand. And it's, and it's one thing, right? If you say, hey, you know what? I don't care about marketing. I'm just going to play ball and make money off of that and whatever comes, comes. But what you see is a lot of people, they come around and like, I want marketing. I want marketing. Well, it's like, well, guess what? If you want marketing, you got to be marketable. Mm-hmm. And you're not marketable just playing the game. You have to do things. You have to build stuff allow people to look at you and say, oh, this is somebody I want to associate with. Like if you're Michael Jordan, if you're LeBron James, if you're these different people that's performing on a crazy high level, yeah, you're going to get opportunities, but let's not get it twisted. Michael Jordan had a bunch of personality. LeBron James is doing movies while he's playing. So we're not talking about shy guys here. Like LeBron loves the lights. Like he's always trying to be in the lights. Michael Jordan's one of the most phenomenal athletes ever touched this earth. So it's like these guys have traits that led them to be what they're what they are. 
So it's like everybody's not LeBron. Everybody's not Michael Jordan. So what makes separates you from the next athlete that can play? And so I think that's where a lot of athletes got to really try to understand is like, man, I got to figure out what my lane is. I need to figure it out early so I can put something out there. Like you see, I think somebody that's cool that's really embraced it that didn't have to was Tom Brady. Like Tom Brady over the past couple of years, you've seen him embracing social media, doing these different things. He has his own um, clothing line because you could tell people in his camp prior like, hey, Tom, you have this massive brand capabilities, but you're kind of quiet. So now you see Tom Brady is super active on social media. And it's funny. It's like he's not he's not doing TikTok dances or doing whatever. It's like it's just little silly stuff that's within the realm of who he is. Being Tom, so, right? Like being Tom Brady at the end of the day. Exactly. Like, all right, I'm. Yeah, this is what I look like getting drafted in the sixth round, and now this is how I am. And like leaning into being a little can't say I mean rightfully confident in what he's accomplished, right? And I like when you talk about that because it's interesting across sports. We know we always talk about. <clears throat> Right on this podcast, I mean, we're venturing out to different sports, but we always sometimes focused on football, but this stuff goes across sports. And it's interesting that the the mentality sometimes in football versus the other sports, right? Because like going into football, you're taught at a young age, like it's team first, team first. It's come on, like you're you're advised against pointing at yourself, right? Like you can't really have a personality. And that's a lot of times where guys I don't say get wrong, but like is actually having an awareness of where you fit, right? Like, and if what you should be doing with your brand, because when you become like that special player, there is a level of curating your brand. And if it's not, it is indoctrinated in the whole system to like, no, we're one team, one band, one sound. Like, so, and, and you see like how a situation like a overtime league where you have superstars like Lons, uh, like the ball family coming out. Uh, little Mikey and all those things around basketball. And the same thing we get to golf or just individual sports and how they approach their brand because they're indoctrinated with the business of sport because it's all about them. And it's like, all right, I'm doing this to monetize. Like I'm playing golf at this level because there's a there's an entry fee to kind of get in here. So like I'm trying to monetize and this is how I'm going to handle my business. That's the one thing that I think is interesting. Even the pr- service that you're providing is like is bringing that into the sports that we don't typically see, like football sometimes, right? And on top of that, I think that's the beauty of NIL and what can be captured now for guys to have a true like brand once they leave sports and not to essentially sign a marketing deal, but like a personal brand to kind of do whatever they want to do, right? Like known as, oh, this guy's John Reed was building computers in college. Like, I don't know how much of his brand's out there, but like get out, I'm sure he can get a job at a computer company when he's done playing sports, just based on how he's built who he naturally is. That's, he doesn't have to be out there showing everything, but he can show his himself building computers or you know different modules and things of that nature. That's a little bit different, but it goes across the spectrum, right? The thing is, it's about being authentically curated and kind of operating and being okay with putting yourself out there to it to a bit. So we see it, yeah. like yeah. No, yeah, it's crazy because um, you talk about football. Um, and I watch all these, I watch tennis, watch boxing. I really focus on it early, just trying to understand like how they're individually building their brands. Cause you look like someone like Floyd Mayweather that is like one of the highest grossing athletes of all time. And the thing that's different about like the individual sports is that like you realize at an early age that you can be good, but just being good doesn't separate you from a marketing perspective. So you see it like boxing is a prime example. I'm a big fan of the the, the lightweight um, crew coming up right now. Devin Haney was on the Million Dollars Worth of um, Game podcast. And he was like, yeah, like um, there's boxers that can, they, they can fight, but they don't got any personality or not working their brand. And it's like, guess what? You know who is? Jake Paul. And it's like, guess who's going to take your what? Jake Paul. So it's like, you can be the sweetest boxer in the game. But if the fans don't love you, you're not engaging with the fans, guess who is? So it's one of those situations that football, to me, is super um, intriguing because of the fact, like you said, it's a team game. So it's the great American pastime. It's team. It reminds people, I guess, of like a form of type going to war or whatever it may be. And so you already have the mentality of like, we're team, we're team, we're team. And a good coach is going to really push that team aspect. But that coach is not going to pay your bills when it's all said and done. So it's trying to find that balance 
of, okay, I want to build a brand, but I'm a team guy. And it's a very hard balance to find because depending on the type of coach you have, they might put you on blast. Oh, this guy's a me guy. It's this, that, blah, blah, blah. I was just about to say that's good coaches try to make everything one band, one sound. Elite coaches identify individuals and treat individuals like individuals because like they know different strings play different chords. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah, you're a hundred percent right. And like in that, it's a lot of times it's kind of placed on the quarterback, but no, the elite coaches get the best out of each individual because they understand that 22 people aren't going to be the same at their best. If you teach them all the exact same way or coach them the same way, that's the same thing of a brand. Right. Like at the end of the day. And it's, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny cause I was talking to an NFL team's marketing department and um, for a player and I was reaching out to them like, Hey, so what, what opportunities that you guys have as a team? And um, just because we, we do that with all our players and we deal with their team and, the, and it was a marketing department. And the guy told me, he was like, I mean, honestly, like we're going to help you out as much as possible, but my job isn't to market, the player, my job is to market the team. So just from that standpoint, if you look at it and you say, okay, my team, say you play for NFL team, guess what? The NFL team's not worried about you getting any marketing deals because that person that works in that marketing department is getting paid off the deals that they get for the team because that's how they get paid. So the individual has nothing to do with that. So you might say, oh, my team, this person. No, they, they're trying to get that corporate deal for the whatever team it is. So if it's the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Buffalo Bills, that's the asset that they're focused on is that team and then trying that that's their name, image, and likeness is that team specifically. So the problem is that these players don't realize like, hey, this team is building that brand, but as an individual player, I have to put together a team if I want that because, I mean, everybody doesn't want to have marketing dollars. I mean, it's, just, it's not for everybody. Everybody doesn't necessarily have to focus on that, but if it's something that you do want, yeah, you have to build your brand outside of your team. And like I said, it's a very fine line on how to do it. I mean, a prime example is um, Odell, right? Like the question is, it's not even a question, but it's like, how good is Odell? Odell's really good, but is he the best receiver in the league? Well, he got a $20 million, $25 million deal from Nike and it's because of his style of play, but also his personality and what he does. I mean, you saw um, Chase Claypool had an interview on I Am Athlete, and he said specifically, I got my Jordan deal because mm-hmm. of my social media engagement. TikTok. Or you look at somebody like Juju. Everybody talks about Juju, but guess what? Juju's been cashed out a bunch of different times based on his fan engagement. So it's like there's stuff out there that you can do to elevate your brand. And it's like if you don't do it, it's fine. You don't have to do it as an athlete, but understand that it's potentially money left on the table. You start mimicking the schools, mimic the enterprises that are signing billion dollar TV deals and like why they're moving. Cause that kind of jumps us into like the domino effect of your brand. And we saw like, all right, now it's going to affect recruiting and talent acquisition. It's going to affect my product on the field. Now it's going to affect my overall, you know, uh, value of my program and how things are moving. We've seen it recently with the USC and UCLA move to the Big Ten. Like we understand that like there's been a discrepancy of cause recruiting. TV contracts, whether you're on the West Coast, you don't see all the games, popularity amongst the game, and how these new super conferences are going to start forming. We talk about this all the time. I've been yelling it for probably the past five years with the kids saying no cap. But like th- this is like the formation of it. And we talk about these corporate branding. Like, you know, I can see UCLA and uh, USC's administration. Like, all right, man, we got to get into the stream pool. The, the pool of whether it's TV contracts on the East Coast when we're getting more eyes on our players. So there's more media properties looking at like our product, right? Like that's how they're thinking. So like as a player, you should probably be operating the same way because we see that, we see that moving. So like, what does it mean? Like with UC, USC and UCLA going to the big 10? Cause I think it's the beginning. I mean, we already talked about the beginning of the end, but that's like the formation of a super conference. Like the idea of a conference being regional standing grounds and everybody kind of being in their own little thing. We're talking cross country recruiting games. You know what I mean? Guys missing class, <laughs> Thursday, Friday to travel across the country. Let's take the rose-colored glasses off. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think it is it is what it is, right? Like college sports. And it's funny because everyone like bunches college sports together, but it's not that's not the case. Like you have you have levels, like there's tiers. Like you got big time college football, you got big time college basketball. Like I would say those are the two behemoths in the room where like if you have a whole athletic department, 
say you're at Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, those players on that football team, it's different from them. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not the same as the person that might be on the baseball team that only has so many scholarships or the track team that only has so many scholarships. So when you're talking about those high level sports right there, it's big business. And that's exactly what it is. I mean, you got people in those athletic departments making millions. You got coaches making millions. And they're not making millions because it's like this is a big business. They're making millions because there's people that see this as a revenue generating sport. The man, so, we got millions of eyes every week. We talk man, every day. like. And they and now with the NIL, like, I mean, they're, they're kind of through a little bone. Like, okay, you can make a little bit of money. But, I mean, shoot, like I say, you either, you either at the table or on the menu. And for the past history of college sports the players have been on the menu and now they're starting to ease over to um allowing players to make money off their name image and likeness what's next is man just straight up pay me because at the end of the day like the coach is getting paid and it's like why is he getting paid so i mean as a player i mean it's only a matter of time as you see that it just turns into just top teams top tier teams getting together and then we'll see how it plays out with the ncaa but it'll be interesting with this UCA move, USC and UCLA move, I can see it happening in the next three to four years where they have to just cut cut the check because at the time, like, man, you're going to have three conferences on it kind of shown on the East Coast. And now you can always watch USC, like that fan base. And you just talk about TV, like being in TV contract conversations, just like the value of that. And you know it's going to sustain because that's another thing that we talk about. We're going to get into the college branding. But the opportunity that's so unique about these college brands is the fan base is emotionally tied to the product in a different way than anything else. When we talk about pure fandom, it's different than even professional sports. It's different than amateur sports. Like people are, damn, they're related to the university. And like, that is like kind of your, your nucleus of revenue stream for like operating in this NIL era. So we talk about college branding, what should players and coaches be doing to kind of capitalize off of being in these very unique ecosystems, probably 15 to 18 where you can really craft a business and do some damage within that. So, so co- college coaches or high school coaches? I'm talking. Coach? I'm talking college. We're in college now. Like, yes. Yeah, so I mean, it's interesting, right? So, for I'll start with a college coach because that's probably um, a little bit different. But I think that if I'm a coach right now, I'm positioning myself as a guy that allows his players to brand himself. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, we're working on um, a project with the Penn State DBs called Lockdown U, where we're branding um, the group um, together and trying to build almost like a, um, a fraternity of Penn State DBs that can last forever. Obviously, you played at Penn State and um, retired and worked for the program. Yeah, I mean. And, uh, and your stepfather is a coach, but... It's like there's so many different things that you can do to create properties, assets that these players can monetize off of. Um, and obviously you can't necessarily oversee it, but I think there's a bunch of different creative ways that you could be of value to um, these kids that are getting recruited. Um, and then from a player standpoint, in college, I mean, it's being marketable, right? It's like, what are you doing? The easiest thing to do and it's like they t- these kids take it for granted, like social media. Like back when you were coming up, back in the day, it was like, yo, like the only platform you had was television for the most part. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yo, if you had a commercial, like, boom, you were on it. Like that's, And how, how good do you have to be or what situation do you have to be to get on a television commercial? Whereas now you got social media, you're a click away from somebody in Bangladesh, Australia, or China. Like, that's how fast people can see what you're doing. So it's like, you literally can build an international brand just based on hopping on your iPhone or your Jordan or whatever it may be and posting a picture and not everybody in the world can see you. And it's like, end of the day, it's just eyes. Like, Super Bowl commercials get a whole bunch of money or pay a whole bunch of money because of ad space. They're essentially like, you're going to get a whole bunch of eyes. So if you have the ability to get a whole bunch of eyes in your basement or whatever, take advantage of that. And I mean, what people do is, oh, do I got to do TikTok dances like Juju? No, you don't got to do anything. Just engage. Like you got fans. I don't care if you're a high school player in Ho Dunk town or ever, you got people who are coming to games 
and they're watching you play. That's your fan base. Engage them. That was the whole, at the XFL, to give Vince's money, all the, everything at the XFL, just building a sports league in general. That was the number one thing was like fan, at, ultra access to the fans and like the, the fan engagement piece, right? A fan-centered league because like that's, that was your consumer at the end of the day. And like, I know as an athlete, I, I mean, I'll be honest. I fought that my whole life. Like, man, what? I, I'm playing. Like, this is about you. This is about this, nothing else. And that's just not true. Like, it's just, it's a false. And, you, and having that identity, like, I mean, or that mentality, you can get far and, like you said, do well in the sport. But that, that, the transition out or just kind of leveraging everything that you kind of were doing throughout the sport and the extra stuff that you were putting in can be limited. Because, like, you almost got to start over and recreate a whole new brand. Yeah, I mean, which is, that's not really using it as a catalyst. It's just kind of, you know, rolling the dice to hit the lottery and see if you can cash out. And we know that those percentages are pretty low. So, I mean. It's funny, not to cut you off, but it reminds me of, like, rappers, right? So, like, a rapper, the most successful rappers aren't the ones that got the best lyrics. It's the ones that put on the best concerts and get the fans the most excited. So you could be a crazy rapper, but if you can't perform for the fans, guess what? Your fan base probably is not going to be that crazy. So if you hop on the stage and you're running around going crazy like Travis Scott, and people are getting super excited, boom, now you become the biggest star in the world versus if you're spitting a whole bunch of bars. But it's like, man, I mean, I hear it, but I'm trying to have fun. I'm trying to be engaged. I want to do whatever it may be. So you hear like you talk to uh, hear some of the executives in the music space. They're like, yo, you have to have the total package if you want to become a star, like the whole 360 package. And th- th- don't get it twisted. You can be a nice lyricist and be nice with it, but that's only a piece of it. And you're only going to be able to take advantage of that piece. But if you bring the whole thing to the table where it's like, man, you can perform, you can rap, you can do this, you can do that. Now you end up building a way more robust fan base and it's more sustainable over time. So I think it's just like about understanding that as an athlete, you have to be well-rounded. And it's like, man, most athletes, they want to be hard. Like, they're like, yo, I want to be hard. Like, they got your crew. They come in with their lettermans or they come in whatever. It's like, yo, you just stand there with your head up. Like, I'm that guy. And it's like, it's that, that era is over. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's done. It's like, <laughs> it's the era of, yo, engage with the fans. Give them something to see. So now they're always, they're always on the phone. Boom, they're always looking at their phone, looking at stuff, trying to see what's going on. So it's like, shoot. I mean, that's what they're looking at. I mean, it's like a level of mimicking the corporation, right? We talk about like even the groups at Penn State, lockdown you. And we just look at everybody knows Penn State to be linebacker you. Like Penn State owns linebacker you, right? Because they understand the value of that group or that asset that kind of comes within it. So like operating and understanding you as an asset or a group of you guys as an asset because I'm big when it comes to football as uh, group licensing because it's a sport that is commoditized. And at the end of the day, groups kind of make up a similar personality trait that people get around naturally, right? And then people can still separate and do their own thing because that's just what it is. Only Michael Jordan didn't sign to the NBA games back in the day because he was Michael Jordan. But it benefited everybody else and like that power of being together and having that product, right? So we talked about those NIL opportunities and everything that's happening in college sports is kind of like creating these super these super conferences. And it kind of brings us to, you know, the, the spring leagues, because now we see the USFL, see the X, uh, XFL coming back out 3.0 with The Rock and uh, Whaley and all those guys doing some some cool stuff. What do you think that fits in with like this whole space of branding and just the opportunities and just leverage for players? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I'm a. I'm a huge advocate of um, players monetizing themselves as soon as possible, particularly football players, because I feel like their shelf life is wasted in amateurism um, because it's like, yo, like, I mean, there's a shelf life to play football. Like you could be a great college football player and only play two years in the pros and be an excellent college football player, be the most popular football player um, at a big school. But guess what? The time for you to make money was only two years. So it's like, well, shoot, like I just spent my whole football career, high school, college, maybe four or five years not getting paid. And then now I got two years left. So I think that the spring leagues could at some point in time give um, players the opportunity to potentially get paid right away. Um, So if if education immediately 
isn't something you want to do or you just feel like, I mean, you're going to play football for so long. So if a league says, hey, rather than you playing in um, college and not being able to get paid, which I think actually is going to drive the colleges to potentially do uh, a pay-for-play structure that makes sense, um, you can go ahead and just play for this secondary league and get tape because we've dealt with that before. We've seen that at the end of the day, NFL scouts are looking for tape. Like that's what they that's what they live by. Like a scout, their job is to watch tape, identify talent. So if you're a talent, they don't care where you're playing. You could be playing rugby over in New Zealand or Australia. If you look like you could be an excellent left tackle or a fullback or a tight end, guess what? That team's coming to get you because there's someone in that office that's going to make money if we hit. Not only the owner, the GM, the coach, the positional coaches, all the above. So there, it's there's too much scarcity in football for people to think, oh, shoot, like, is this platform good enough? It's like, people say, oh, if I go to an FCS school or this or that, it's like, yo, they're looking for talent wherever it's at. They Period. do not care. Like, they're trying to identify it. So I think from that perspective, talent acquisition standpoint, I think the secondary leagues are super intriguing. And then it just gives guys a longer opportunity to continue pl- to play, to continue building your brand. So I know some guys that um, played in the league, got dropped out, but now they're playing in these secondary leagues and now it's kind of reigniting their brand again. So um, I just think that just in general, the more football out there, the better because yeah. football is one of those strange sports where other than NFL, it's like one of the only games in town. Like the CFL is a little bit different. The XFL is coming up now and now you have the USFL and a spring league, but like a guy will spend his whole life preparing to play football, play college football, and the next thing you know, they realize that, hey, there's only 20-something percent of guys that make it past five years in the NFL. And it's like, once you get out of the NFL, there ain't no other game in town. So other leagues just create more opportunities, uh, more monetization, and more opportunities to brand yourself as well. Man, I love it. Like We've seen it happen like in a unique experience with Kenny Robinson when that whole situation. I was going at the XFL. He had a detour and kind of was able to get to the XFL go to the NFL without, you know, the different things are holding back from uh, college. So like with that being said in spring leagues, NIL branding and everything, we talk about the business around sports and everything and how it impedes with NIL and how it intersects. Letter of intent has always been something that's kind of, we've talked about It's like the next thing up. Everyone's talking about your NIL contracts and things of that nature, but the real contract or agreement that needs to start to be looked, starts to, start to be looked at is um, a letter of intent. I mean, just from a legal standpoint, it's just an agreement of what you're going to do when you get into that school or between you and the institution. And like with everything going on now, whether it's your media, your media assets or like your living uh, arrangements to your educational, um, educational benefits that the school's providing, that letter of intent is like a new, it's almost like the new contract that you really need to be, hammering out with the schools like that's coming up next man as you continue to see it going to this semi-pro type of model super conferences the next thing that's in in line is kind of how are people going to start maneuvering um their letter of intents do you have any thoughts on that yeah that's interesting right because um people don't realize the austin case didn't deal with name image and likeness it was actually about receiving extra educational benefits i think unlimited educational be- benefits essentially but because of the fact that the supreme court ruled um on uh, against the ncaa on that they didn't even want to touch the nil stuff because they knew where things were going so that's what opened the floodgates to nil i'm not i'm not speaking um super technically about it but if you do the research you'll see and that takes you into a letter of intent and i mean i, I hate to um give out some gems on the podcast because the game's meant to be sold, um, not told. But um, yeah, man, that LOI, it, it gets real interesting because if you're a high-profile prospect and the team's coming to um, recruit you and you got, shoot, Alabama, Georgia, blase blah, Florida, Ohio State, well, guess what? Like, you're in that high school moment. You got the leverage. And so now what are you going to ask for for me to step on that campus? So everybody's talking about, oh, I want this for NIL. It's like, well, guess what? You're going to college and you're getting the expectation is you're going to get a, a college degree. Well, what are the terms of that college degree? Let's, let's talk about that. 
I want a college degree no matter what, period. Then maybe I want a master's degree too. I want an MBA or this and that. And then I want you to house me. And I also want you to give me some insurance. And I want all, and matter of fact, I need you to give me all my content as well. Because all, all those cameras, see what I'm saying? So there's a bunch of different plays that are there that you can negotiate and negotiate while you have leverage, right? Because it's like, look, once you get on that campus, your leverage disappears immediately. Now you got to go get that leverage back, but it gets tricky when you're already there. So I think that these high school athletes need to go back to the Austin case and see what it was actually about Absolutely. and see what areas that you can actually benefit from other than just the NIL and then start negotiating on the LOI. Because look, you see how competitive it gets. Like you really have the driver's seat during that process. And that's where you could take advantage of a lot of things that are not just, hey, let me get this money from this collective or let me secure this car deal in this market. It's like, man, let me position myself where I'm going to get an MBA when I'm done in the league or immediately. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, look, a lot of guys go into college and they're massively overrated. And there's nothing wrong with that. So while you're overrated, take advantage of all you can take because guess what? When you step on campus, that coach might not even talk to you no more if you don't come in the way you need to be looking. So it's like you may as well take advantage of the opportunity when you have the leverage and go from there. So I think um, the LOI is a super intriguing space that not a lot of guys, I haven't seen anybody um, other than the individual that um, that I've been working with that have gone to the school and said, hey, forget all the NIL stuff. I need you to take care of this. I need to take care of that based on the fact that I know you can now based on the ruling. So I your, think your, that- Your operational business, I'm coming as operational business. If I have a business, let's do a business agreement. And like, this is what it is. Whether if I have merged, I can go into your uh, revenue, your distribution channels, whether it's, like you said, paying for me to make sure I'm protected, different things of that nature, but like a real going to the table, uh, you know, negotiation. And not in the sense of being crazy, right? Because that's the thing that we're talking about. A lot of people are overrated and just recognizing when you- have the leverage or have the awareness to know when you're special or have the awareness to know where you fit in or where you have the leverage at a certain school because everybody's situation is completely different. So I just want to leave you guys with that because just the LOI is it's a new contract to focus on from a business standpoint in college sports in general. I mean, I think sometimes basketball has been, they they kind of play a little head ahead on, on that stuff, but when, in football and this whole new era of NIL and college football, yeah, the letter of intent is something that can completely look at, look at, and get advice, and get advice on what to do with it and how to approach these different things when you have that leverage. Because we want to give people leverage. I know from Blue Chip Academy, LIG, that's our goal, right? To empower, protect, and educate. To you know, use sports as a catalyst all the way to your executive role, from player all the way up, and add eco filling those gaps from where it's the branding, making sure that you're presented in the right way, and that your business is tight, right? Like that you're taking full advantages of this multi-billion-dollar industry that you're stepping into at 13, 14 years old. Like the branding starts then, right? Because I know I've seen guys that have gone through the recruiting process and some brand. Uh, mess ups or mishaps have come up when it came to going to the NFL or when brands are looking, you know, at the XFL, I was one of the conduits when companies would come and looking for certain players and just understanding what parts were needed, like six or seven different parts. I have to be this type of skill level, this type of image, this type of this, this, that, and the third. And so just understanding the whole evaluation process and where you're, uh, where you fit. So Bro, I appreciate you jumping on, man. If you guys ever get a, a chance, I mean, not get a chance, but check out Atheco. We'll have the link at the bottom and all the stuff that they're doing. We have projects coming up, as you guys see, post different things, Lockdown You and different brands coming up, creating these legacy silos and guys just being more in tune with everything and trying to get these revenue streams flying to the players and just building that sustainable brand, right? So just everything that we thought, talked about, the difference between pay, pay for play and NIL and just the background along this whole process, right? Just the dual lane branding. Understand you have a, it's, it's a two-part thing. Understand the branding's one aspect, but you have to be able to perform in this sport if you're going to try to monetize. And there's a lot of things that come along with that. So appreciate you jumping on IO. Uh, really appreciate it, man. A lot of gems dropped today for all the guys going through this process to be able to make some money and set up your business the right way. Absolutely, man. It's a pleasure, man. Always, always. You guys check in, check out this football business masterclass at the bottom. We'll have the link there. Check out the podcast, previous episodes and everything. And uh, 
yeah, class is dismissed. Appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Blue Chip Academy. To help navigate the recruiting waters, LIG Sports Group put together a Blue Chip Recruiting Checklist. Download your checklist at LIGsports.com Blue Chip Academy to ensure you're making informed decisions through this process. Hit subscribe and check out the LIG Sports Group Football Ops and Recruiting YouTube channel where we'll talk about the recruiting and other critical points in the football ecosystem. If you're feeling stressed, confused, or just want help putting together a blue chip blueprint for you and your son, don't hesitate to book a console call with me at LIGsports.com backslash Blue Chip Academy. Remember, everyone has a different journey. Keep sharpening and remember that you can only go to one school. Just make sure that you have your blue chip blueprint together and execute it. Life is good.